Well, good morning. About 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Squeakers. Second Timothy chapter one. All right, Brother Chuck, why don't you uh, open us up in a word of prayer this morning? Amen. All right, now we left off about verse 12, verse 12, and the Bible says in 2 Timothy first, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, for the which cause I also suffer these things, and of course that's talking about uh, the fact that uh, he, he saved and called with a holy calling in verse 9, and uh, he, a death has been abolished, and then of course uh, he's, a, he's a preacher in verse 11, he's an apostle in verse 11. And he's a teacher in verse 11. Uh, so he says, for the which cause also suffer these things. And we went into detail about that. He says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. That's a great part, isn't it? And uh, Paul says that a few times in the New Testament. He says, for I'm not, he says, I'm not ashamed. Uh, look over at Romans 1.16. I think you know that verse uh, uh, implicitly. I remember in the Iwana clubs uh, before they uh, kicked out the King James Bible and went with the modern perversion of the day. Uh, they used to have youngins memorizing scripture. And when you change the Bible and you kick out the, the word of God, uh, you can hardly memorize scripture. Uh, but Romans 1.16, one of the first verses I remember memorizing in Sparks. <laughs> sparks for Jesus. Amen. Okay, I thought it was Blast from the past, you all still sleeping? And then you have the post-Harvest uh, Fest hangover. Is it right to say that? No, probably not. All right, shut up and read the Bible, Jerem. Bible says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he says, I am not ashamed there in 2 Timothy. And he says that uh, again over in Romans chapter 1. But what does it really mean to be ashamed? What does it mean to be ashamed? Well, it means to blush. <laughs> it means to be abased or confused by guilt or conviction or some criminal action. And confused by the consciousness of guilt or inferiority. To blush, to be abased or confused by guilt or conviction. Uh, how about this one? The notification of pride by disappointment. You ever been disappointed? Disappointed that you weren't picked for whatever. You weren't chosen, frozen chosen, and you're ashamed about it. <clears throat> and Paul says, I'm not ashamed. And Paul wasn't ashamed of the things he went through for Jesus Christ. Chuck, give me this fan up here. And uh, well, that's quite a testimony, isn't it? 
Um, a lot of people, <clears throat> a lot of Christians in these last days, the last uh, 10 years, are ashamed of what God's allowed them to go through and be put to the test with. Uh, one of the prayers that should be, uh, thank you, one of the prayers that you should have and should adorn your lips and mean it is, Lord, uh, do with us and to us whatever you want. And if you can't pray, do with us and do with me and to me whatever you want, then you're going to be ashamed. You're going to be ashamed. And uh, when you get around uh, people that you know uh, that are saved, are you ashamed? Are you ashamed of what God's done to you? Are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Some Christians are ashamed. They never open their mouth for Jesus Christ. You ever be in front of somebody and it's like a, a pristine time or a perfect place or a perfect setting for you to witness and then you got no track? Boy, oh, doesn't it make you ashamed? Man, it was a perfect opportunity the other day. I'm like, oh man, here it is. It's like just someone setting you up for a slam dunk, you know. And the and the and the rim's like four foot tall. I got no track. I say we should just witness for the Lord. Yeah, you too, man. But Paul wasn't ashamed of the things he went through for Jesus Christ. And uh, are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? How about this one? This one's a tough one. I mean, we're Gentiles, right? We like money. Some if you if you don't, I want to hang around you, amen. But are you ashamed of the standard of living that God has allowed you to live right now? Do you realize over time your standard of living will change? You'll realize you don't have to have what you thought you had. And then when you don't have to have what you thought you had, the temptation will there to be to judge everybody else because they think they have to have what you thought you have to have, and now you realize that you don't have to have it. <laughs> are you ashamed of standard of living? The fact that some people have more than you, I can honestly say I'm not ashamed anymore. <laughs> Amen. I'm thankful for everything I got. Paul says I'm not ashamed. Now I want to give you some reasons here this morning uh, found in the Word of God why reasons that cause people to shame. Look at Psalm chapter 25 first of all. I'll talk about this thing about being ashamed. There are some reasons in the scriptures that you should be ashamed. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 25. Verse 3, and uh, one of the reasons that people are ashamed is because of their transgressions. People are ashamed because of their transgressions. Now that thing that I said right there, and we're going to read the verse here in a second, that's a dying thing in this country. And you know how I know that? I'm in the public school, and some of y'all are too. There's nobody ashamed of what they do. Psalm 25, 3, the Bible says, People are, says, Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. And the reason you'll be ashamed of what God's done in your life is simply because of your transgressions. You'll be ashamed of that thing that you're doing. I'll look at Isaiah chapter 45. I'll give you another one. Isaiah chapter 45, around verse 24. Reasons uh, that people are ashamed. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 24, the <clears throat> Bible says, Surely shall one say in the Lord, Have I righteousness and strength? Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. So, so what is that? Well, people are ashamed because of rebellion against God. You know, the fact of the matter is, is uh, sometimes you're ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ because you're in rebellion against him. 
You say, not me. Absolutely you. You say, well, I, I, I just don't feel that way. It doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what the Bible says, and we'll get into that thing a little bit more in detail this morning. Look at Ezekiel chapter 16. I'm just giving you some reasons why people are ashamed and should be ashamed. Ezekiel chapter 16. It's taken a handful of years, but I've realized, and I'm not talking about you all here that are here this morning, but a number of Christians, uh, well-meaning Christians, Christians that love the Lord and that are decent people to probably be your neighbor and probably would cut your grass, but many Christians want to attend a church that claims to stand for something, but they don't want to hear preaching. Amen? And when you start preaching that stuff, people get ashamed. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 27, I want you to see this. The Bible says, Behold, therefore I have stretched out my hand over thee and have diminished thine ordinary food. Deliver thee unto the will of them that hate thee, the daughters of the Philistines, which are ashamed of thy lewd way. So people are ashamed because of lewdness, dirtiness, and filthiness. If you're lewd, you're dirty, you're filthy, you should be ashamed. You should be ashamed. You ever see a Christian downtown and they're doing something that you and I both know is wrong? You know what they do? They duck and cover, don't they? And they don't duck and cover because you're so spiritual and holy and godly and fourth part of the Trinity. They just duck and cover because they're ashamed of what they're doing. And they transfer their guilt on you. And you're like, what did I do? Nothing. You're guilty of walking down the street. And they're like, oh, see you later. Because of their lewdness. Now we're talking about reasons why uh, people are ashamed. Paul says, I am not ashamed. Uh, look, at, uh, look at over here in uh, Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Now here's an interesting one. We'll pick this thing up in verse 12. Isaiah 65, verse 12. Many people in this community are ashamed of what you stand for, of what you have, and the fact is, is because they've rejected God's mercies, and they're ashamed about it. Look at Isaiah 65, 12. The Bible says, Therefore will I number you to the sword, talking about Israel, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, look at it now, you did not answer. When I spake, you did not hear, but did evil before mine eyes, and did choose that wherein I delighted not. Therefore saith the Lord God, Behold, my servant shall eat, but ye shall be hungry. Behold, my servant shall drink, but ye shall be thirsty. Behold, my servant shall rejoice, but ye shall be ashamed. And Israel, uh, God called. God was saying, hey, hey, uh, let us reason together, he's saying. Let's, let's get things taken care of. And they ignored him. They didn't answer it. And uh, God spake, and they didn't hear. And then what happened? They end up in the verse. They end up delighting in the things that God hated. And God said, you want to reject my mercies? And uh, so he gave him verse 13. And he made them ashamed. People are ashamed because they reject God's mercies. You know that passage over there, and was it uh, 2 Thessalonians or was it 1 Thessalonians 2 2, that uh, they believe a lie? Man, that thing's loaded. You realize that it's not just in the end times tribulation where God allows men and women to believe a lie because they had no love of the truth? 
Do you realize that thing is documentable, it's calculatable from Genesis 1 all the way through the scriptures, that when a man or a woman doesn't want the truth, you know what the Lord does after a period of time of dealing with them and giving them opportunities? He's like, okay, have it your way, and he lets them believe a lie. Do you realize that half the training that you have to do at the workplace is because this country has believed a lie? I was taking some training the other day, and it's talking about you know, how you handle kids with discipline issues and that because they don't want to believe the Bible, because you don't want to, you know, what the Bible says, spare not for his crying. Thou shalt beat him and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Well, of course, that's abuse now. So you don't want to believe what the Bible says about rearing children. You don't want to believe what the Bible says about handling children. You don't break their spirit. You break their will. Then what you do is you create a curriculum of garbage that everybody and their brother believes. Why? Because they had no love of the truth and they don't want to believe the truth. So God says, hey, that's okay. You can believe the lie and now you're forced to eat it. And you're taking all that training every year that you had to do, half and had to do, past tense, and going, what a bunch of fooey. Why? They reject God's mercies. 90% of the stuff that you do for compliance in these issues, uh, some of it might be legally bound because you live in a God-forsaken, wicked country, but most of that stuff is because man believes a lie. And man believes that if you do it this way, that everything's going to turn out right. But how come the workplace is the most volatile place in the world anymore? Well, your curriculums aren't working, people. All right, I'll give you another one. Look at Mark chapter 8. You know another reason why men are ashamed? Men are ashamed because of unbelief. Because of unbelief. Bible says in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Isn't that interesting? The Lord says uh, it was adulterous and sinful back then. What is it now? (laughs) Worse and worse, right? Isn't that what Titus says? Worse and worse, more and more. (laughs) He says, Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Of course, the second advent passage when Christ comes back. But people are ashamed because of unbelief. And let me tell you what, that Bible's true. That Bible's true. If you're ashamed of him now, and you don't trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, he'll be ashamed of you when you get up there. And a lot of people are ashamed because of uh, unbelief. Unbelief in the Lord Jesus Christ as the sinless Son of God, who should be the Savior of all men, if they would receive him. Let me give you another one. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 4. <clears throat> Some people are ashamed because they won't give and they're unprepared. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 4. Paul's talking about the offering there. He says, Lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared. We, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in the same confident boasting. And the context is giving. And they might not be now, but one day those who won't give to the Lord are going to be ashamed at their lack of giving and how unprepared they made themselves. Now this isn't said to guilt trip you into giving. You ought to give because you get to, and you ought to give because you want to, and you ought to give because you know it's what the Lord would have you to do. And as far as the amount, that's between you and the Lord. 
ashamed, the people will be ashamed of the judgment seat of Christ when God's passing out rewards because the people are not given and they're what they're doing. You know what's happening? People are hoarding stuff up for themselves here. I hate to break it to you, but it's going to burn. <laughs> Just spoiler, it's all going to burn. But uh, they're ashamed because they won't give. That's Christians. That's the Christians. Now, if you're a giver, you got a clear conscience on that thing. All right, let's grab another one. Well, let's not. Let me give you some reasons on how to avoid being ashamed, how to avoid being ashamed. Take your Bible, go to Psalm 34. Those are some reasons why people should be or are ashamed. Now, here are some reasons how you can avoid being ashamed. All right, Psalm 34, 5. You will avoid being ashamed. Avoid being ashamed by waiting on God. Now, this is a good one. And this one's going to be a sermon within a sermon within a sermon. By waiting on God. Christian, you cannot go wrong waiting on God. You get in trouble when you get ahead of God. You get in trouble when you do things uh, without God's blessing. You get in trouble when you do things and you don't talk to God about it. Psalm 34, 5, the Bible says, They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. You see that verse? That's a great verse. They waited on God. And that's the key to the Christian life, isn't it? Look at Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Hardly a Christian waits on God in 2023. And that's because the world has made everything accessible with one touch. 46.10. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. That's the hardest thing for a Christian is just to be still, to do nothing. You know what happens? The devil makes you feel like you're a compromiser if you're doing nothing. So some some people, not not all people, some people need to, but some people get to... You get to, get to work right away, busy in a local church, doing this, doing that. They're just so busy, the busy machine couldn't stop them. And they ain't got enough sense to wait on God. Now, some Christians probably ought to get busy. <laughs> that's, just, uh, that's just the ramblings of a, an idiot preacher. But uh, he says, be still. Be still and know that I'm God. You've got to learn to wait on God. So how do you know when to wait on God? Let me give you seven things. Seven things, how you know when to wait on God. Now, these are good. I've given these before, but, man, this stuff will go. When you don't know what to do, don't do nothing. When should I wait on God? When you don't know what to do. You know when you're going to get in trouble? When you do something and you don't know what to do. Wait on God. I can chase back in the history of my 20s and 30s and 40s to getting in trouble and getting in situations that caused me heartache and uh, trials and tribulations. I didn't know what to do, and I thought I had to do something. After all, I'm a man. i got to do something. i got to have the answer. No, you don't, stupid. Stand still. Be still and know that I'm God. When you don't know what to do, don't do nothing. Too many Christians are doing things by emotions rather than waiting on God. I've seen it. You've probably seen some of them. People, uh, missionaries will come through, and people, oh, I'm called to the mission field. They're no more called than I'm a tuba player. 
So what they do, they make their rounds and they get in the inner circle with all of God's people and waste a bunch of God's money and they're trying to act on a burden instead of a calling. When you don't know what to do, don't do anything at all. Uh, here's another one. This is number two. Here's a hard one. When things aren't going well, what do you do? You wait on God. Preacher, when should I wait on God? When things are hard. When things are difficult. That one right there, you feel like you're in a vice and uh, the devil's on one side and you blame the Lord for it and you're, there's so much pressure in your life and what happens is the Lord wants to see if you're going to trust him or you're just going to go ahead and do your own thing. And when things are hard, you wait on God. Listen, you buy a car out of the will of God, you buy a truck out of the will of God, you get married out of the will of God, you change churches out of the will of God, you better watch out. You're headed for trouble. I'm just not running my mouth. That's, that's preaching right there. You better learn to wait. How about this one? When should I wait on God, preacher? Well, how about when you're in a crisis? When you're in a crisis. You know, when a crisis comes along, uh, the brethren will excuse you and uh, they... You know, I won't mind if you jumped over the moon, if I could say it like that. But what if God don't want you to jump over the moon? When you're in a crisis, you better wait on God. You better wait when there's pressures, when there's problems, and there's pains. You wait on God. You say, why? He knows what to do. You don't. Remember what Jeremiah said? He says, it is not within man to direct his own steps. Right? Everyone's got the... Country home and garden, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understandings. Right? Great verse. In all thy ways acknowledge him, he shall direct thy paths. And the Lord ain't directing hardly any Christian path these days. We're directing them ourselves. I'm just saying, I'm not trying to be a jerk or critical. You and I have got to learn to wait on God. Even if it means you pull out the stops, you pull out the brakes, and everyone's looking like you like you're a monkey in a cage. You say, what are you doing? I'm waiting on God. Now, go to work. Don't be stupid. Amen? But wait on God when you're in a crisis. Let God do it. How about this one? When should I wait on God? Here's a hard one. When you want to go. When you want to go, stay. If there's something inside of your heart right now that you just have so desperately want and want to do, don't. Do it. Wait on God. You say, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. Yeah, that's why the Lord's in it. Don't ever try to work your way into a, a ministry. <laughs> the best advice I could give anyone trying to get into the ministry is this. You better try to get out of it. Amen. You say, why? Uh, some of these churches around here, I mean, they've got good people that love God, but they got, they got about as many brains as this marker I'm holding up. They want everyone to be in full-time service. Really? You get into full-time service, you're not supposed to be there. You'll mess that church up is what you'll do. We doing all right this morning? I'm trying to preach. You pray for me, but, man, I'll tell you what, the best advice I can give everyone think about the ministry, try to get out of it. If, it, if you can go ahead, if you're a man and you don't have to preach, then you ain't called to be a preacher. But if you can't shut your mouth, I'm not talking about arguing with your wife, amen. I'm not talking about arguing with people at work, but if you can't shut your mouth and it's got to come out and there's got to be an outlet, well, still try to get out of it. <laughs> amen. 
Because if, if God wants you in it, you know what he'll do? He will put you in it. I told myself for years, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be a preacher. I wanted to be an evangelist, you know, itinerant evangelist. Um, but I figured I'd never be that. And so then we went into evangelism, and that was just the Lord's way of giving me a couple places to preach in about three or four, three years. And then when I'd had enough of that, uh, I'm like, okay, whatever you want, Lord. And the Lord's like, well, I want you to be a pastor. I'm like, really? I'm like, you don't want me to be a pastor. He's like, no, you're finally at a place where maybe I can do something with you. And then the wheels and gears started turning. I said, okay, I'll be a pastor, but I know you ain't never going to make me one. Within 30 days, I was a pastor. And uh, make God put you in it. I'll say it again. Make the Lord put you in it. Make God push you into it. Don't push yourself into it. And just tell God I ain't going to preach unless you force me to preach, and then you'll know it's God. Uh, Jim White, one of the craziest things I ever said, with he told me over a cup of coffee, he's dead and in heaven. Uh, he, said, uh, he said, Brother Evans, he says, I told the Lord one time that I would preach, but I'm getting in the trunk. I'm like, okay. He says, so I got in the trunk, and the Lord began to drive me around the country, and he just popped the trunk, and he'd say, Jim, get out and preach. <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great illustration. So I, we, I think the wife and I made him a card, and on the card I said, uh, amen, really appreciate your advice about the trunk. And he come up to me the last time, thing he said before he ended up dying with cancer. He's like, he says, don't ask the Lord to put you in the trunk. It smells back there, he said. <laughs> he said, ask him to put you in the back seat. <laughs> but let God push you into it. And uh, so when you want to go, you need to learn to wait on God. How about this one? Very similar. When should I wait on God? When I'm spiritually burdened. When I'm spiritually burdened. That's a point of weakness, and the devil knows it. When you're spiritually burdened, wait on God. Remember, a burden is not a calling. Every missionary that comes here will give you their burden if you're doing what God calls them to do. Did you catch that? Every missionary, if they've got the touch of God on them, will give you their burden. And they'll put it right in your lap. And you know what some of y'all think you need to do? You need to go to the mission field. Okay, but you better wait. You better make sure God's in that thing. And if somebody else has a burden and you have a big heart, you can be touched by a burden easily. And I know that as a matter of fact. I'm not just running my mouth. Every over there in Lupton, we were, I was at for 18 years. My wife was there a whole lot longer. But it seemed like every missionary that came through, man, I was called to go there. Oh, I got to go. I got to go. And then Monday or Tuesday, the Lord's like, you're not going. <laughs> they don't need you over there. <laughs> oh, come on. Every single one. It got to the point where I just said I would just eat everyone's burden like a sandwich. You know what I mean? Just, just, just eat it right up. And, and uh, it got to the point, wife and I would try to fill everyone's gas tank that was going somewhere, put tires on. So why? I had a burden, wanted to do something for God. But when you're spiritually burdened, you better wait. And uh, that's why I like to, I like to give to a man's burden. Amen. Because I can't go to every man's burden. That's why we support, one of the reasons we support missionaries, because we can't go every place. But I sure can give to it. How about this one? When you're physically restless, wait on God. When you're physically restless, wait on God.
I've seen men, good men, come through here, go through a church in Lupton, and they're just restless, restless. And they can't sit still. They can't, they can't put themselves into the, to the church. Amen? They can't make, and they're just so restless. I'll tell you what, when you're physically restless, you better wait on God. You're getting ready to mess up. You're getting ready to make a mistake. When you're physically rest, restless, doing, uh, just having something to do isn't God. Waiting on God to open the door is the right thing. When you're physically restless, wait on God. And uh, here's number seven. When you haven't finished what you come to do, wait on God. When you haven't finished what you come to do, wait on God. You wait on God. You say, what am I waiting for? You're waiting for God to open the door. And sometimes that door will stay shut. He'll be standing there going, "Uh, hello, (laughs) open sesame. And the Lord's like, just wait, just wait. It's not the right time. It's not the right time. Why in the world would the Lord call me to preach Uh, back in 1994? Uh, Just as sure as I'm standing here, why would the Lord begin to burden my heart with preaching? And I didn't even know what preaching was. So while he uh, standing in front of the door, was I called to be a preacher? Absolutely. Was I just as called then as I am now? Absolutely. But the door wasn't open. You say, why? I know a couple things. The Lord is preparing this place here. It took 18 years to do it. Not only that, but the Lord is preparing me. He's got to prepare the man before you get the message. Not only that, the Lord is preparing her. You say, well, preparing her? He had to put up with me. <laughs> you know, he's preparing families, preparing places, Preparing ministries, you see, you got to wait. When you haven't finished what you come to do, you got to learn to wait on God. Learn to wait on God, and that is how you avoid being ashamed. You can avoid being ashamed by waiting on God. Let me give, I told you there's a sermon within a sermon, amen. And here you can avoid being ashamed. Look at Psalm 119. Number two, you can avoid being ashamed by taking heed to God's commandments. By taking heed to God's commandments. You never go wrong following the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 6. David said, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. There's a bunch of commandments in there, isn't there? There's a passel of them. Let me give you another one. Look at Psalm 119, verse 80. You're in that chapter. Another way to avoid being ashamed is by keeping sound doctrine. By keeping sound doctrine. Verse 80. Sound doctrine. Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 80, Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I be not ashamed. You know how I learned my Bible? Well, first of all, I had a pretty solid upbringing. Amen? I had parents that loved the Lord. Uh, There was no Bible issue growing up. There wasn't a multiplicity of Bibles. Amen? There just wasn't. 
um, there was the old King James and there was nothing else. I didn't even know there was uh, new Bibles till uh, I was so dumb I didn't even know there were new Bibles till I was in high school. It just wasn't, it wasn't an issue. And uh, I did have a solid positive upbringing that lifted up the Bible as a great book. But I learned my Bible beginning in 1996 from studying that book every chance I got. I mean, every chance. For a while there, I was working midnights, and I had that. What are you going to do? I mean, there's only a couple bathrooms to clean. I was working for this uh, AFC home, you know, these people that were uh, mentally deranged, not Baptist, but close, amen. And there's only so much you can do in the place, or so much cleaning you can do, and you got this great block of time. So I'd sit at the table with my big Bible and a concordance. There's no phones at that time. And if they were, they're too expensive to buy anyways, and I'd start studying my Bible. And I'd learn it line upon line, working midnights, working with lost people, amen, working with backslidden Baptists. I'd talk with these folks who I work with, and I'd try to witness to them. And then the ones that were agnostic or atheists, I'd try to win them to Christ. or try to, I'd try to argue with them. Yeah, I didn't do, I'll do it all right either, amen. But I was learning so much Bible, I didn't know what to do. And I, I knew that what these idiots were telling me wasn't right. So what did it do? It drove me to study. It drove me to dig. It drove me to... Find out why do I even believe what I believe? Why do I have the convictions as a Christian that I do? You ever stop under why you even do what you do? You ever some of y'all just ask yourself why you're even a Baptist? Well, you know, mom and dad, no, mom and dad ain't shouldn't have much to do with you being a Baptist. I mean, do you know why you're a Baptist? I'll tell you the number one reason I have, I'm a Baptist. Because the Baptist is the only denomination that ever stood against Rome. That's it. You say, well, the Baptists aren't right in every way. You're 100% right. But where they follow the King James Bible, I'll go down the road with them. Amen? But I'd talk with these folks at work and try to study my Bible and uh, contend for the faith. And uh, it drove me to study. It drove me to dig. It drove me to get solidified in sound doctrine. There was a burning desire. I'm like, I need to know that book. I need to know more about that book. And uh, by uh, not being, I'll tell you what, what happens is what, if you start studying the Bible, all of a sudden you'll realize you're not ready to give an answer to the hope that lies within you. And all it does is took for me once or twice getting burned. Like they'll ask you a question and you're like, <laughs> and I said, that ain't going to happen again. So it drove me to study. It drove me to dig. Amen. And I'd get uh, and I'd find out why I thought, you know, and then the Lord would correct me down the road, and I'd give answers, and they weren't all right. But the Lord knew I was trying, and he knows you're trying, amen? And uh, then it makes you go back and study, and then it makes you pray, because all of a sudden now you got all these answers, but you're, you have no grace with anybody. Now you're beating everyone up with the Bible. It's a process. And uh, what happened is I asked the Lord to teach me this book. You say, why? So you could argue with them? Maybe at first. <laughs> Uh, but the will of God is to shut the mouths of ignorant men. Amen? But uh, you, uh, you avoid being ashamed by keeping sound doctrine. You're not going to avoid being ashamed by emotionalism. I tell you what, I love it when there's good singing. I love it when there's good special music. But a lot of that's emotionalism. It'll set the things up for a good spike if a preacher's wise. But you've got to avoid being ashamed by keeping sound doctrine. Here's another one. All right, you can avoid being ashamed if you trust God by trusting God. 
You trust God today? Now that thing deepens with time. Trusting God in your 20s will mean something in your 30s and will mean something different in your 60s. Psalm chapter 25, verse 20. David said, O keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. You ever just stop and think about what God's done for you since you put your trust in God, where he's brought you from, how he's grown you, how he's changed your life, how he's changed your thinking. He sure has done a lot of things for you, hasn't he? Uh, He's taken things from you. You ever stop and think of that? He's taken some habits from you. He's taken some way of thinking away from you. He's taken just, uh, he's taken some friends from you. Um, and he puts you through some hard times, doesn't he? The Lord's going to put you through some hard times. There's, there's this crazy thinking out there, this modern, uh, you know, I don't know what you call it, modern socialist Christianity, that if you're having a hard time, then, you know, it's you know, because the devil's after you. No, it's because the Lord's going to put you through hard times. There's only one way he can prove you. I'm pretty sure most of us aren't on the devil's radar. I'm not saying we can't be, but... You, Hold on, man, you think too highly of yourself. But he only puts you in those valleys for so long, then he puts you back up on the mountaintop, amen? I mean, isn't it? I see people, they seem to be in the valleys for 10, 15 years. That ain't normal. Uh, you, we're not in the dark ages here, people. Uh, the Lord bring you through a storm, and you'll go through a doozy, and then he'll bring you out, amen? And he'll bring you out, and the clouds will roll back, and the sun will come out, and you'll feel the the presence of his love, and you're like, man, that was, I don't ever want to go back there, and all of a sudden, you can kind of see it, and it starts going again, you're like, better batten down the hatches, man, because here we go, and back down you go, but you know what, when you go through another one, you can look back and say, the Lord got me through that one, he can get me through this one, and then you get through that one, and it's almost like, it's almost like when you go through the storms, you say this, His presence is so near and so close in those storms. It's okay if you let it go on, but not always. And uh, you won't be ashamed if you trust God. But he'll put you through the hard times, won't you? And by the time you get on that mountaintop there and that old mountain there will be just kind of shallow and the sun will be shining. You'll be like, oh, time to go. (laughs) And back down you go. Let me give you another one. You won't be ashamed if you're diligent in your Christianity. Amen? If you're diligent in your Christianity. Now this is a word that unfortunately our generation knows nothing about unless it has to do with eating, uh, sports, or spending money. (laughs) Diligent in your Christianity. Uh, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, very familiar verse. I'm sure everybody in here knows this verse, but you need to see it on the pages. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. <clears throat> now listen, don't let anyone ever make a fool out of your Bible study. Amen? It's, you're never a fool to study your Bible. Never. Uh, if you get uh, debating or talking or contending with the faith of somebody and they burn you, learn what they burned you on, go back and burn them. 
<laughs> Amen. Don't ever let anyone make a fool out of you. Uh, but if you deal with somebody and, uh, and they won't listen, at least try to burn them spirit. Dent their fender is what I'm saying. I was on the street one day. I probably told this illustration before, and I just remember I just <clears throat> walked up to a fellow and said, here, I'd just like to give you a track about Jesus Christ and how you can know for sure you go to heaven when you die. He says, I give money to the church every week. I said, I don't give a rip what you give the church. I'm not after your money. I'm after your soul. He said, oh, thank you. Just, just like that. Burn them. Let me give this one number six. You know how you can avoid being ashamed? By abiding in Christ. You say, what is that? That's your fellowship. By abiding in Christ. We find out this morning the secret to the Christian life, the secret to a holy life, is a life that's in fellowship with Jesus Christ. By abiding in Christ. That's my fellowship with him, 1 John chapter 2. Now, I don't want you to be ashamed as a Christian, but I'm going to tell you what, if you're going to live for the Lord, you're going to have to experience some of that stuff, and you have to learn the lessons just the way everybody else learns them. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. The Bible says, uh, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we, uh, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You want a sure way that you won't be ashamed in Jesus Christ? Is to stay in fellowship with him. And the thing about staying in fellowship with him is it takes work. You can't do it once a week. You see what I mean? Uh, some people mistake church, and I'm not saying you do, but some people, no doubt, they make, they, they make the mistake of thinking church is what uh, keeps them in fellowship. You know what keeps you in fellowship with the Lord? Your personal relationship with Him. I'm not discounting the value of church. Listen, church is the ground and pillar of truth. If you have a weak church, you have no ground, you have no pillar. You ever stop and think that everybody inside the church, and we often refer to the church, sometimes you get confused because you're thinking of a church building. I'm talking about the body. You ever stop and think that Jesus Christ shed his blood for the church? Not the, not the stucco and the boards and the concrete and all that, but you. And this is where we get to meet. He says uh, in 1 John 2.20, I'll read it one more time, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Imagine the Lord coming back and you're not in fellowship with him. You're still going up, but you're going up out of fellowship. That's a difficult thing. I don't want to be ashamed. So stay in fellowship with Jesus Christ. You avoid being ashamed by waiting on God. That's a good one. By taking heed to his commandments. Uh, Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend thee. Not only will not be ashamed, but you won't be offended. I reckon that accounts for a lot of church members that are so thin-skinned they get offended. They don't love the book like they should. Uh, by keeping sound doctrine, you won't be ashamed. By trusting God, you won't be ashamed. Uh, if you're diligent in your Christianity, you won't be ashamed. And if you're abiding in Christ, staying in fellowship, you won't be ashamed. And we'll stop right there. On the same verse we started. <laughs> <laughs> Very far, did we? <laughs>